You're listening to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption related. It's the big 5-0. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's our 50th episode and our first episode of 2022. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so we thought we would start this episode with... Um, a brief reflection of of this milestone. <laughs> yeah. So we started the podcast back in May 2019. It feels like such a long time ago now. Yeah, it's it's been a really weird like two and a half years, right? Yeah. Our podcast has basically spent most of its life in a pandemic. So Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But you know, it's been good because like, I feel like one of the reasons why you suggested doing a podcast was, um, was to keep in touch because I was already planning to move to Korea and yeah. it's been kind of a labor intensive way of keeping in touch, <laughs> but, but it's been effective, I guess, because, you know, it's hard to keep in touch with people who are overseas, like yeah, in a meaningful sure. way as well. Yeah. So I've just forced you to commit to some sort of schedule. So you have to, <laughs> you have to see me and catch up with me every, <laughs> a few times a month. But yeah, it has been very effective in that regard. Yes. Um, no, I'm really glad actually that, um, that we decided to do it and that we've kept doing it. Yeah. So we thought we would talk about like what have been the most surprising things about doing the podcast. Um, Ryan, why you can go first. <laughs> well, I guess the first surprising thing is that um, people actually voluntarily listen to us talk, which I think I might have said when we first started as well but that still continues to surprise me especially the episodes where it's just us and we don't have like these amazing and articulate guests to kind of hide behind <laughs> <laughs> those episodes where it's just us are also like are also super fun and I love those but um there there's a sense of vulnerability I think with those and so it always just like I'm pleasantly shocked when I see our stats and like people actually <laughs> tune in for those yeah I don't really well I don't look at our stats um and I'm glad that you do but um <laughs> like are there are there so many people listening to those kinds of episodes that they can't all just be our friends and family <laughs> well I don't know about your circle of friends or how how big your family is but it's certainly way more than my circle of friends <laughs> oh my circle of friends is very small these days <laughs> anyway uh, okay yeah I'm yeah, that's surprising. Um, it's also surprising that we haven't run out of topics. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like that we haven't run out of stuff to like talk about um, related to adoption, but I guess we've like broadened our scope a tiny bit. So like that helps. Yes. And if it isn't obvious to people that have been listening to us for a while, we, we didn't really have a plan. So <laughs> it's been kind of nice to see. I guess, yeah, like the sort of slightly different directions that some of our conversations have gone down. Yeah, those have been really rewarding. Like, I guess just off the top of my head, like Bastian's mm. you know, episode with a second generation adoptee. That was not something that we, not, not a kind of conversation 
that I certainly didn't think we would be having wasn't even in my mind like a possibility. And then, you know, just happened to, to meet him. So that, that was really fortuitous and really kind of broadened my sense of what our podcast could also focus on. Yeah. And that was amazing conversation with, um, he's an amazing person. Um, good scouting there. Good guest <laughs> scouting there, Ryan. <laughs> um, yeah, actually meeting new people uh, through the podcast, like meeting podcast guests that we that we don't know has been really cool. Cause I think we started out by like mainly interviewing people that we knew and then, um, yeah, like just persuading friends to come on the podcast. But, but yeah, lately, like particularly last year, we've interviewed people, even people who have approached us, which is crazy. And they've been so like just the loveliest and most generous and interesting people. Mm. Um, yeah. Like it's really cool when that happens. Yeah. Oh, I can't um I can't describe the experience in a more articulate way, but it's just <laughs> basically like we hop onto like Zoom, right? And we we meet people that we've never met before and we have like really amazing conversations. Yeah, I've been constantly surprised by how willing people are as well to kind of deep dive with us, um, especially those that that we've never met. That always feels really special and, and also has, has always felt really genuine. Yeah. That's been really, really cool. Actually, I just want to quickly mention there's one other kind of um, unexpected perk of the podcast for me. Um, it was, I think, just in the first year of, of the podcast where um, an old friend that um, I had kind of like fallen out with, I guess, like reconnected with me because of the podcast mm. because um, yeah, she saw it and then she listened to a couple of episodes and she heard me like, just, I don't know, talking shit and, and laughing. <laughs> and she was like, Oh, I realized, you know, I heard you laughing and I missed all the good things about our friendship. Aww. And we, at that point we hadn't, we hadn't spoken actually for, um, ooh, I can't remember, like at least two years. Wow. Yeah, and then so we reconnected and then when I visited Melbourne, um, we caught up again in person. Mm. And so I feel like kind of like if nothing else, creating the whole podcast was was like 100% worth it for me, like just so that I could um, revive that friendship. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm really grateful for that friendship and grateful that uh, we could make it work again. Mm. that's really cool yeah yeah I guess one of the other really surprising things too for me personally about doing the podcast is also that I've met other trans adoptees through doing this which has just been so unexpected and such a such an amazing kind of byproduct I guess of I don't know I guess being like willing enough to to talk about my my own identity on the podcast and mm. it's just I can't even describe how incredible it's been just to receive like messages you know not not a ton but like I mean even one what would be like amazing to feel a bit less alone in this experience but um we've had a few and and since doing the podcast I've heard of or actually made contact with other trans adoptees and I just think that's like 
such an incredible thing. Yeah, many surprising things. All right. All right. So we also um, asked people on Instagram and also um, our Patreons um, to submit some like random questions for us. Yeah, hope this is somewhat interesting for folks. <laughs> Number one, um, how did you meet and become friends? Well, we have probably like briefly discussed this like like way back um, in our like random trailer episode, but yeah, but oh god, don't go and listen to that. Steer <laughs> clear. <laughs> One day, I feel like we should listen to it again. I haven't. I don't. Oh I don't want god. to either. But no. anyway. <laughs> I guess I'll kind of start answering the question. Mm-hmm. So we met in 2015. I had actually finally kind of made contact with the Department of Human Services in the state of Victoria, where I live, which is basically the first step to doing a birth family search. So I'd finally done that. Um, and I'd had a kind of consult with the social worker who was assigned to me. And then at the end of that um, meeting with a social worker, she just like kind of volunteered that like there's this amazing Korean adoptee who um, (laughs) she had the contact details for and that if I wanted to connect and sort of ask questions and, you know, be mentored. (laughs) <laughs> basically um yeah basically hannah was was mentioned as someone that would be a really really good person to speak to which obviously turned out to be 100 percent true then i actually i think i mentioned this in the trailer slash episode that will not be named that um <laughs> i happened to see her in a play i, I think maybe just a few days after my meeting with DHS, um, the play was called I'm a Miracle. Hannah was amazing. Um, <laughs> was a- you were. I actually, I actually like really remember you singing. Oh. Um, and that the stage was like, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like a really stunning show. Anyways, see Hannah in this play and then oh, meet her for coffee, probably like a week or two after the play. And the whole time I was like, do I tell her that I like just saw her or would that be really creepy? I can't actually remember if I told you. I, feel, I think you eventually did, but not the first meeting, not at the first meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we first met, I remember thinking like, oh, we kind of have like a lot in common. Like we, we were both like into music. We both moved around a lot. We both had like a younger non-adopted sibling. Yes. Um, so we had like certain things in common, kind of, right? And um, I feel like our friendship just evolved like pretty naturally. You yeah. were president at the time, right, of Cayenne? Yeah, uh, this uh, Korean adoptee organization in Australia. Yes, mm-hmm. and so I was like quite active in um, the uh, Melbourne Korean adoptee community at that time. Yeah, so. Um, And then I just, I think like over the years, I feel like we both witnessed like some, you know, as friends do, but like some pretty like big events in each of our lives, you know, like. Mm, Breakups. I think, think, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think I can say all this, but I, I, yeah, I remember meeting your former partner and then I remember 
like I think we were like maybe standing outside like a bookstore on on Ligon Street near Melbourne Uni. I I feel like I remember the day when you told me that like that actually broke up, and I knew that was significant because it was like a, you know a long term relationship, mm-hmm. and then. Maybe a few months after that, my breakup started, or like, <laughs> which is not not funny, but anyway, <laughs> like maybe similar timing. And yeah. then I remember you finishing your PhD. I remember um, meeting M, your current partner, together with my former partner. Mm. I remember. Um, having lunch or coffee at a cafe and you telling me about like your transition for the first time, Mm. you know, I remember thinking like at that time, like I didn't have any other trans friends and I felt like, Oh, I'm kind of ignorant. There's like a lot that I don't understand, but this is really, I, I felt like quite, I was like, Oh wow. You're trusting to like trusting me and tell me about this. And I, and I know that this is, um, that this is like a big deal and like a really like an exciting thing for you. So, um, yeah. And then <laughs> I went to Korea for a while and then I came back uh, <laughs> and then you suggested to do a podcast. Yay. Yay. Yeah. So I guess our, our friendship has had multiple moments of kind of being solidified and yeah, actually I hadn't thought about how, much has changed probably in both of our lives since we met like 2015 to now Mm. a lot has changed yeah it's been it's been really nice to have your friendship through that and then at a whole other level (laughs) with the podcast starting in 2019 so all right next question what made you guys decide to make a podcast and what's been the hardest thing well, I feel like Ryan, you should go first because it's like it was your idea. It was one hundred percent your idea um, to make this podcast. I actually don't know. I was just like, I think it'd be, I think it'll be fun. And so I, I'd been doing a podcast with another good friend, and that has a very different format to Adopted Feels. But it was kind of like a really nice excuse to hang out and and talk oh. and. Mm. Um, I think, you know, like I've been trying to be more open with the things that I don't know and like exploring what being adopted means for me. You know, I was already doing that a little bit with with you, Hannah. But I think, yeah, I just had this idea that like, well, maybe these conversations would be interesting for other people. And I guess I understood that podcast medium could be quite powerful in in that way Mm. and you're so smart (laughs) (laughs) and I also think that like I think you're hilarious and it's like it's gonna be fun it's like it's gonna be fun to do it because we just joke around a lot and talk about serious shit but I think humor is really important when it comes to talking about the adoptee experience Mm. yeah I'm actually afraid that I've been mostly depressed the last two years and I've just been like (laughs) depressively like ranting on the podcast. But anyway, (laughs) Um, what's been the hardest thing? It's probably juggling keeping up with the podcast and kind of employment, like work commitments. That's probably been the hardest thing because 
this always feels like fun, but you know, it is kind of time consuming. It's a labor of love. Yeah. We do all the production and. Well, you, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's just, I feel like I need to remind people that like you do all the production and editing and it's, that's very time intensive. Oh, well, I don't even know, but I mean, I know it, like, because I, I don't do it. I, I, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think it's just that classic thing of like juggling between something you, you love doing and that brings you a lot of fulfillment and kind of a lot of personal growth, but then kind of juggling that with like, well, I have to earn money to pay bills and, and, <laughs> mm. and so on. What about you? What's been the hardest thing? Well, occasionally I wonder if I've shared something on the podcast that will like <laughs> negatively impact my employability in the future. <laughs> but, um, no, uh, but other than that, um, I think that I went through a period of wanting a break from like anything adoption related, like even, mm. even other adoptees just... And, and including the podcast. So um, I went through a, one period where I was like, I want to quit the podcast. I want to quit all of it. Like throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Like that, that's probably an insensitive. Um, Am I the baby? Analogy. No, the baby's the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> Go on. Um, yeah. But then I just kind of like, Vented about that to a bunch of people, in- including you, Ryan, and then I got over it. So th- then it passed. <laughs> um, yeah, and I was reminded that um, that I believe in what we're doing and that I have fun with it. And, yeah, especially when we meet cool new people and when we kind of, like, experiment with the format, that's, that's like, a lot of fun for me. So, mm. yeah, but, but, you know, sometimes, like, when you're like doing like adoptee stuff and like kind of active in um, this community, sometimes, yeah, you feel like a break. Yeah. But um, I'm really lucky because I think our relationship is such that like I can express those things and, um, and that you were just like, well, yeah, if we want a break, like let's create a break, you know, Mm. I think I'm lucky in that way that you're not like creative partner that would be like, well, I don't know. The- <laughs> Crack the whip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or something. I don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Next. Yep. What advice would you give a Korean adoptee wanting to visit Korea for the first time? All right. So one, um, this is kind of, I don't know. This is kind of basic, but okay. First, before the trip, if you have time, I think it's probably good to reflect on what you hope to gain or experience or um, any expectations that you might have of Korea or what you might find. Um, Two, like while you're there, I think, you know, especially if you're going alone, I'd say have have at least one person, say, back in your uh, adoptive country for support on hand, like if you need it. Um, Like I I remember I had had one moment, at least one moment during my first trip back to Korea (laughs) where it was like, it was like 1 a.m., which means it was like 2 or 3 a.m. back in Melbourne. And um, I had like learned something about my my adoption and my birth family that day. And then that night I was just, I was freaking out. So mm-hmm. I remember calling my best friend and being like, I'm freaking out. 
Mm. <laughs> like I really, and so that can happen. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and otherwise, you know, it's just kind of like uh, any other trip where I'd say, you know, you just try your best to be present during it, but like, but probably expect that um, there's going to be a lot to take in and. Um, Finally, like after you get back, perhaps give yourself some time and space to like process it all because I think it's really only when you get back that you realize how much there is to process, mm. probably. Yeah. What about you? I was just going to say, I think that's totally right about processing. I feel like I'm processing things from 2019 <laughs> still. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I guess I would say kind of very similar to, to what you're saying, Hannah. Um, as you may know from listening to the podcast, there are a lot of adoptees that either live there now or have lived there before um, and have all sorts of great tips and recommendations for things to do and, you know, places to visit and organizations to contact and all of that. Um, so I would suggest reaching out to adoptees, preferably those that are already there. Um, yeah, have supports in place, like Hannah said, people to call um, and decompress with because it can be kind of an intense experience. Um, the other thing, um, and this is also my personality, but if you're so inclined, I would take lots of photos and maybe even keep a diary um, so that you have stuff to look back over later to help you make sense of the experience. I'm really thankful that I did some of that. Um, because sometimes I feel like I vacate my body a little bit um, when things are like intense or there's just so much anticipation and then I'm just so like deer in headlights and then um, to just have some sort of material things that can kind of anchor that experience that you can later look at to kind of sift through um, what that was like. I think that that's really important. Um, I wish that I'd been better at keeping a record of, of my trips um oh yeah and to plan rest because i think for most of us korea is much more fast-paced and overwhelming than um the places we currently live in mm. i'm guessing particularly in like non-pandemic times yeah yeah and i think there's that like tendency to just like do everything and go and see mm. everything and um mm. maybe that works for you but um i think it's also important to plan rest and sort of downtime mm. and then the other thing is if you are doing a birth family search when you're visiting korea for the first time that's a kind of whole other whole other thing but i would just say that planning is really key even in terms of like getting appointments with your agency organizing interpretation things like that um so you really kind of make the most out of your time there We have a question about living in Korea. What has Hannah learned through the process of taking Korean classes and living in Korea? That's a really good question. Yes. Okay. So this is also a really big question. I'm going to try to, I'm just going to focus on taking Korean classes in Korea. So, um, yeah, so I'm currently doing one of those intensive university courses at Sogang University. So I feel like, 
trying to learn Korean and particularly trying to improve my speaking ability is like possibly the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. Like, I, yes, really. Um, and sometimes it feels like, not that I'm particularly into jigsaw puzzles, but like, it feels like the world's largest, hardest jigsaw puzzle. And like, occasionally I, I put one or two pieces on like the outer corners onto the puzzle. That's what it feels like. Right. For me, I, I know maybe I'm like learning slow, slowly, but it's, it feels like a marathon. It's, mm. it does not feel like this, the kind of thing that I can just um, knock over in a year or two. Maybe other people can, I, I, maybe I'm not obsessive or applied enough to do that, but yeah. So if this feels really hard, it feels like a really long process. So what I try to do, I'm not actually very good at taking my own advice, but this is the <laughs> advice that I would give someone. Firstly, acknowledge that you're making a big effort by trying to study Korean at all mm-hmm. because it's hard. And actually, because it's hard, that's why like a lot of people don't, you know, mm-hmm. I would say try to celebrate the small wins, like the, mm-hmm. the small, you know, like, for example, I when I moved into this apartment, I, I managed to call like a curtain installation company to get this like curtain rod installed. Um, I, I think that I may have been slightly ripped off, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I called and like asked for this very specific thing, like, oh, I have I have this big window. Can you uh like yeah, can you come and install the curtain? rod thing anyway um so you know it's like that's that's progress because i used to be like terrified of i mean this is the the, like the world's shortest most rudimentary phone call you know like (laughs) it was not and we're not chatting no no small talk or anything um yeah but you know things like that so you, you try to acknowledge your progress um and then i think it's really important not to compare yourself to anyone but yourself. So it's like, mm. even if your progress is really, really slow, if you've, if you've learned something, uh, even a single word that you didn't know yesterday, and it doesn't matter how many, it doesn't matter if you like forget that word again, you have to like look up that word a million times before it kind of sticks. Cause mm. that's what language learning is like. Um, important not to compare yourself to anyone else. So, you know, not Japanese or Chinese students who's like, you know, the, the grammar is a lot more similar to Korean, not Korean Americans who like at least grew up like hearing the language from their parents. Um, yeah. Don't compare yourself to anyone but yourself um, because it's not competition and it's not a race. And then finally, I'm kind of like, yeah, then I'll like get off my soapbox, but um <laughs> You know, keep in mind that as Korean adoptees or as as an adoptee learning their birth language, you know, we're not we're not blank slates. I think I I heard this like years ago um, from another Korean adoptee, Laura Klunder. Uh, actually, she now goes by her Korean name, and I've mm, forgotten her Korean name. But know that we're not. <laughs> um, you know, we we come to this language with baggage often like emotional baggage and this sense of kind of like obligation or like this sense like, Oh, we should be trying to learn the language or like maybe even we should already speak the language. Um, so 
you know, it's not like some white dude learning German for fun. You know, it's, it's not like that. Um, you know, try to be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. I'm done. That's really good. All right. Now for the hardest hitting question of them all. <laughs> Hannah, if adopted feels was a food, what would it be? So Ryan and I cheated a little bit and we briefly discussed this question earlier. First, I was like, okay, well, we wouldn't be fine dining and we wouldn't be fast food. So it would be somewhere in the middle, which is kind of like, but there's like, obviously that's, <laughs> that's kind of like everything in the middle. <laughs> um, and then I was like, hopefully we would be something kind of comforting. I'd like to think we would be like, um, <laughs> like a pasta bake, you know, like mac and cheese or um, ramen at the end of a long night. I was yeah. going down the path of like, I feel like our podcast would be something like chewy. Like, you know, you can't just like, I would hope that you kind of like have to kind of feel it out a bit and you can't just like digest it like super quickly, I guess. Like, so it's not like fast mm. foody. And then I was like, I hope that like, it'd be a little bit spicy. And then my brain was going to like the which I guess it's kind of a fast food in Korea though, isn't it? Um, Is yeah, it? I guess it's kind of like a street food. Um, but it's also like, it's like a meal, like a proper <laughs> meal. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then we both had this same thought. Maybe we would be a cocktail because we both appreciate a good cocktail. <laughs> But we would be like a pairing because there's like two of us. So it would be like maybe cocktail with something on the side, like with fries on the side or like mm -hmm. even um, good potato chips on the side. Yeah. So we're thinking like an old fashioned or a Negroni. Or a margarita if it's summer, maybe. With yeah. some sort of potato concoction on the side. I feel like you would be the cocktail and I would be the greasy fry. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> What? Okay, anyways, what? Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. There was another really good food question. And mm -hmm. um, so, of course, it's got your name on it. If you had to give a friend the best soul food experience for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which places would you pick? Okay. So, it's really hard to, like, put together one perfect day of eating in Seoul. I feel like that's, like, slightly too much pressure so what i've done is more like a kind of choose your own adventure day of eating and soul oh nice um okay i'm gonna try and go through this really quickly so breakfast so i personally don't eat korean food for breakfast it's not yeah so breakfast i would we would either do pastries and coffee like this donut place or this little kind of japanese style bakery actually or we would do like american style brunch at um yeah, I mean, people probably know it, but a little place called Travel Maker for like kind of classic diner fare or like or Salt House for like a croque madame and like crispy fried potatoes on the side. Okay. Mm. And then, so <laughs> breakfast is not Korean at all, but like I have some places that I like. Lunch, I think we would go to a traditional market. Mm. Um, and I just, because I think not so much for the food, but actually like for the ambience, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I've, you wander around and like you work up an appetite again and then you pull up a chair at like some tiny stall run by like an 80-year-old grandma um, and, and you have something kind of simple like 
some kind of like noodles or like a, a pori bap, like pibimbap with just vegetables and, um, or like maybe a, a handmade tonkasa or whatever takes your fancy, right? Um, and, and then for dinner, I feel like there are two options. So like either um, a simple like prekpan restaurant, which, which means just like um, it's like kind of simple traditional Korean food with like uh, rice and a soup and, and lots of side dishes. And there's this one place that was actually like recommended to me um, by another adoptee friend introduced to me. It just has like the most delicious jigae, like the most delicious kimchi jigae and duanjang jigae. And I'm not even a jigae person, actually, particularly. I'm really not. But it's like these jigae are so delicious. They teach you what a jigae should really be. Wow. They just have lots of different notes going in there, like like this depth of flavor that comes from from meat really it comes from like a meat broth and then like kind of like a little sweetness and like sourness and it's like where is this place a jazz band going on in your mouth um (laughs) it's um it's south of the river um if people are visiting korea and really curious like contact us and i will send you the link maybe i should like ask my other friend first, if it's okay to like, <laughs> I'm sure she, she doesn't she mind. Did. Yeah. Yeah. So either that place or a really good barbecue place. And it can be, um, it could be like pork or it could be beef, but it's just like, I think that really good Korean barbecue experience is also like kind of quintessential soul. And mm. um, even if you don't like soju, I don't particularly like soju you must have soju on the side because it's like just that weird kind of clean, weird, clean kind of almost medicinal taste of soju. I think somehow just really works. That's a very kind (laughs) adjective. medicinal. (laughs) Yeah. It works with like the, the greasiness of the meat. And then Mm. you must finish with like the bokkenbap. Even if you're full, it's just like, that's what you have to do. And then finally, if you can get a seat, you can go to my favorite cocktail bar, which is Chum. And it's like, that's like no secret anymore because it's um, won various awards and stuff. It's basically like in a converted hanok and they use a lot of traditional Korean liquors. Mm. And I've, I've just never had a bad cocktail and I've never, um, like they're always just so warm and patient. Like even with English speakers, it's not pretentious at all which I really appreciate from such a like um, high quality cocktail bar, you know? Mm. Yeah. So that was probably really long. We probably need to edit some of that out. (laughs) All right. I'm done. I'm done. That was so thoughtfully presented, Hannah. Thank you. Well, I hope, I mean, if people want specific links, yeah, if they happen to be here or what coming here, you can hit me up. So to end uh, <laughs> our 50th episode and the first of 2022, we thought we'd really quickly check in with each other on our new year resolutions. Mm-hmm. Hannah, how you feeling? Oh, am I going first? Okay, fine. <laughs> All right. So I don't really like the concept of resolutions, 
because I'm like, one, they're usually really short-lived and also it's like January the 1st is like an arbitrary date and, you know, you're obviously not just going to like flick a switch and like change stuff overnight. Um, All true. <laughs> nonetheless, so, um, yeah, I, I do kind of have this secret resolution, which is obviously going to be less secret if I talk about it now. Um it's <laughs> it's um a, a deeply shameful one. It's one that I have set at least at least twice before in my life. I know I'm like building up this suspense now. So Ryan, you probably know that um that I am a chronically late person. And so um Lately, I've been reading, like, Reddit threads and, like, articles about late people online to try to, like, help myself. So, I'm, like, okay, this is really bad. I've been this way, like, for as long as I can remember. Apparently, once I asked my parents, I was, like, why didn't you correct my lateness <laughs> when I was a child? And they said, we tried. <laughs> They said, like, you would be getting ready for school and you would just kind of, like, get distracted and, like, dawdle, for example. So, I don't know if I have, like, adult ADHD or, like, I, I don't, look, I don't think so. But, um, yeah, so I'm chronically, like, kind of five to ten to fifteen minutes late when something is important to me, like, really, really important. I'm on time but kind of, like rushing in breathlessly, like right on time. <laughs> um, it's, um, there's an article about late people on, on this website slash blog called wait, but why, which is a, a really brilliant blog. And um, so Tim urban on that blog calls chronically late people clips, which stands for chronically late insane people, because yeah, basically we have issues. <laughs> 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 yeah, one of them is like being in denial about how time works, like having a, a truly kind of warped perception of time. <laughs> anyway, so I was thinking I should um I should try to address that again this year. I, I have some strategies that I want to go too much into it because like one, people who are on time, like really punctual people will not understand. Yeah, and it is like I'm I'm someone that is chronically late and does feel quite bad about it. It's not that um it's not that I truly just think my time is more important than other people's time. So wow. uh yeah, that this may be like the most personal thing I've ever shared on the podcast. No, well, not quite, but like <laughs> all right. Um yeah, and anyway, otherwise I have like ongoing personal development goals. I always have them. It's like my extreme Virgo-ness and um and then you know I want more of certain things this year right like more like singing more singing yeah. yeah more dance I um I recently like started this salsa dancing class in here in Korea um, yeah um I want more poetry I want more sleep I want more <laughs> of this brand of like Hawaiian flavored coffee, which is like, it's kind of expensive. So it feels like such an indulgence. Um, but yeah, that's, that's mine. What about you? Um, 
yeah, so I also never really make real resolutions, probably because I'm afraid of falling short of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just have general things that I want to make more time for this year. Um, and probably because of the pandemic, a big one is being out like in nature more. Um, mm. So I've been trying to get more into trail walking. And then my other one is probably similar to yours, just like checking in with how my body is feeling. I'm remembering to do that more and also like remembering to enjoy being in my body. I feel like I've been more focused on like trying to tune into what I'm feeling, but I also want to remember to like enjoy the body that I have, especially after surgery and like, you know, slowly um, getting some sensation back after surgery is really, really cool. And so I feel like that's like been a new experience where I can like go to the beach and like actually feel the air on my chest and that's just like such a wonderful feeling um and those things are just like really really slowly coming back so yeah i just want to remember to be more grounded i think and not mm. get too stressed about work yeah and make more time for creativity which i think is similar to you so yeah let's hope let's hope that happens this year yeah Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. If you like what you hear, please recommend us to your friends and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Okay, final question. And this is about our podcast logo. So, um, Ryan, do you want to read like the first part of the question and then I'll continue? What is the cover image for your podcast about? Did you have some history for selecting it or what was the process? My take, I see a butt in the upper left, which leads me to see <laughs> a lot more of them. <laughs> I'm sorry, going to try again. My take, focus, Hannah. I see a butt in the upper left, which leads me to see a lot more of them elsewhere. It could be just me. <laughs> it could be just me. Also, <laughs> I have to like, uh, Ryan, I have to cover your laughing face <laughs> because it's, your laughing face is distracting me. Okay. <clears throat> also, a Snoopy nose. Then my nose of sorts. I'm at a loss for what is on the lower left. Something between an embryo to a person with thought bubbles. Thanks for the podcasts. Hope you were able to keep them up. <laughs> Thank you so much to this person. Um, we really, really loved this question. Um, unfortunately, uh, we do not remember the creative process. So we have, um, we have asked the artist, Meg O'Shea, for her thoughts. Hi, Johan. I'm Meg, and I drew the image. Um, thanks so much for the question. Uh, the story of the making is very exciting. Uh, a little while back when uh, Hannah, Ryan, and I were all in Korea, Hannah and Ryan approached me about a logo. Um, I drew up a few ideas, and this is the one that everyone liked the most. Uh, the way I'm pretty sure we saw it at the time was kind of the head maybe being an adoptee stand-in, kind of strongly and serenely 
moving through a giant mass of feelings that it was both kind of generating and and moving through. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I'm actually pretty stoked that you can say so much in those feels clouds. Uh, they weren't intended to be any shapes in particular, just because maybe I'm projecting here. Uh, there's an often often no set way to feel when it comes to um, thinking about and relating to something as complex as adoption. Uh, you know, sometimes you can feel nonchalant and positive like Snoopy, and sometimes you just find yourself in a troposphere of bots. Uh, the troposphere, of course, being the layer of the atmosphere that has clouds, which I just had to look up. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your question again, Johan, and I hope that answers it. <laughs>